Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. I found a quote from O. Henry. Anybody remember? Probably not. William Sidney Porter, 1862 to 1910, known by his pen name O. Henry. O. Period Henry was an American short story writer. His stories are known for their surprise endings. And I have a quote from O. Henry that was used in a song by Harry Williams. Let me read the quote. Turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. So what are we talking about today? Well, when we think of a city, we often think of its nighttime skyline. And many of us today think about how well its streets are lighted. Ooh-hoo. Well, today lighting is everywhere. We work, we live, we travel, we shop, we dine, we play, we relax. And lighting needs to meet our needs every place we go, every place we are, every place we're thinking of going. So how can we brighten the lives of the increasingly dense populations around the world, given projections that more than 70% of the world will live in cities by 2050? No, it's not that. That far off. Let me give you some good news here. Digital communications and energy efficient LED lighting are revolutionizing urban lighting infrastructures. How? They're transforming them into information pathways with the capacity to collect and share data and offer new insights that enable and really drive the smart city. Question on the table today is, is your city bright enough yet? We'll just leave the word bright in quotes and you can think about that. Let me tell you who my three experts are on the panel today. Just briefly, I'll be speaking in a moment with Suzanne Seitinger. She is the public sector marketing lead for Philips Lighting in the U.S. Joining her, and she's coming back. She's a return guest. We're happy to have her. Joining her on the panel is a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. He is David Graham. No relation to me. Deputy Chief Operating Officer for Neighborhood Services for the City of San Diego in California. We'll welcome him in a moment. And rounding out the panel is our esteemed sponsor of this series, Marlon Zelkowitz. And her new title is Director of Future Cities and Internet of Things, very appropriate to this conversation, SAP Public Sector Industry. So welcome to our panelists. And let's see about the quotes they've sent me. Suzanne Seitinger has picked a quote today. You're very well familiar with this, I'm sure. It's five little words from Peter Drucker. Uh, he originated it. Peter Drucker considered the founder of modern management. And if you love your MBOs, that's management by objectives and the topic of self-control. You can blame Peter Drucker. He lived from 1909 to 2005. And here's the quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I'm hungry now. Suzanne Seitinger, welcome back. How have you been? <laughs> Hi, Bonnie. Really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm back. And two two babies later, twins uh, came back in August. So I'm excited oh, to my... report in for business. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's right. I remember. I remember you were just on the verge last time we, we spoke. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. So so I hope everybody's well. Congratulations on the additions. I, I hear we have another panelist on the on the uh, in the group today who also has some baby news, but we'll just leave that one until I introduce him. There's a little preview. So Suzanne, tell me about this quote. We're talking about smart cities, smart lighting. You light up my life and you bring in an 
old Peter Drucker quote. What's it got to do with our topic? Well, I was thinking about what what to use, and and this quote, what I love about it is that it hits home for me on where we are with smart cities and what lighting really bridges in terms of bridging kind of the visceral human experience of a a city with the heavy-duty IoT technology that we're we're now deploying and and rolling out in different cities. I feel like the the idea of, of culture and the way a city appears and the way it emotionally connects with people it's really what matters to citizens. It matters to their elected officials. It really matters to the community. Uh, at the same time, you know, us as, as engineers and as technical folks, we're out there thinking about the right system architectures, the right technologies to select, all of these very technical things. But at the end of the day, it's the culture and how that technology gets incorporated into that particular city that really matters. You know, you started out by talking about skylines, and I think at the end of the day, it's that warm feeling that people get when they think of their hometown and how they associate it you know, with, with a particular skyline or a particular setting or a particular place they like going for, for dinner and, and how they feel on that walk to and from their car or to and from their transit station or wherever they, they live. And so for me, this idea of culture really transcends the business world and it, and it speaks to where we are with smart cities and where we are with smart lighting as a result. Thank you very much. It's so interesting the way you, you brought up what I said in the opening, the skyline. And, and Suzanne, think about how many pictures people buy or paint or take pic- photographs of. Post- Do you remember mm-hmm. the days of the postcard? You'd go to a city. You'd go to the, the store for the tourists, right? And they'd have racks and racks of postcards. I think mm-hmm. they still do in the in the touristy uh, tchotchke shops in New York City. And people want to buy a picture of the skyline. It still matters. Exactly. And, and when I was writing the opening to this, this episode, Suzanne, I was thinking, what's happening underneath those skylines, all those lights? Those are streets. Those are buildings. Those are perhaps homes, apartment buildings, offices. And how are those lighted? That's what comes to mind when you go into that postcard, right? Where are Absolutely. you? Are you safe? Are you well-lighted? So thank you very much. L- lovely opening. I appreciate that. And now let me welcome our second panelist, newcomer David Graham from the city of San Diego. He's on with us a little bit early today. And David has sent us a, a quote, four words. We're really short quotes today. Four words. And these are from the 2004 film by Wes Anderson titled The Aquatic Life of Steve Zissou. Anybody didn't see it, the lead character is Bill Murray, gotta love him. He's a renowned oceanographer. He has sworn vengeance upon the rare shark that devoured a member of his crew. I'm gonna leave it at that. Look it up. The Aquatic Life of Steve Zissou. Here is the quote David has selected. This is an adventure. And I think that's the story of your life right now. David Graham, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm so excited to be here, Bonnie. Thank you so much. Oh, we're delighted. You can, you can thank Marlon for inviting you. Uh, can, we, can we just talk about a little personal news here? Suzanne just mentioned she has twins, and rumor has it you have a newcomer in your household, too. You want to do a quick shout-out to who's at home? Well, life always is an adventure for me, and right now I have two <laughs> under two years old, a four-week-old <gasps> named Finley and the two-year-old Grayson. 
my biggest job right now is, I think, keeping the two-year-old from trying to kill himself, and I uh, have relative success <laughs> at that so far. <laughs> I'm, glad to, I'm glad to hear you're in survival mode. Now, I was thinking of this quote when you said, this is an adventure, and it is the story of your life, but let's see if we can make it a little bit bigger than that, and let's go take a look at Smart Lighting, Smart Cities. You are a big honcho in the city of San Diego. We're very, very happy to have you. I know you're very busy. Tell me, this is an adventure. Is that what lighting's all about in the smart city today, David Graham? Well, I love the fact that we can choose a quote to start this all off, and I picked this one specifically because we think about the future and innovation and the adventures that we're all on as cities, but uh, if you end up watching the movie, I think what's fascinating about it is Bill Murray is playing this aging and not gracefully sort of Jacques Cousteau character who's taking his aged and uh, almost decrepit research um, vessel ship, the Belafonte, out to capture something that seems mythical. And if that's not perfect example of cities with our legacy infrastructure and with all of our traditional challenges trying to do something mm-hmm. mythical, innovative, and, and uh, future thinking, I don't know what is. I love the fact that his character is really deeply flawed, but there's a passion that he has to go and continue to research, and it, that's what drives him to this ultimate invention. And that's the adventure I see cities being on. We're taking these legacy assets, these old things like streetlights and roads and aging facilities, and we're beginning to think as cities, okay, if we're going to be replacing this, how do we go from just replacing that like for like to something that's like for light years ahead? How do we change the perception of government and say we can do something big, bold, and innovative and at the same time? It can also be something that is uh, saving money, um, improving services, and changing the lives of people. Thank you very much. And while you're speaking, David, I took the the uh, little sidebar here for myself and looked up the San Diego skyline. And I'm seeing some absolutely beautiful pictures here. And Wikipedia even has a separate page called the list of the tallest buildings in San Diego. Do you have a favorite tall building you want to tell us about briefly? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the first was uh, Emerald Plaza, which um, was one of the early redevelopment projects. But if you go down to uh, the Manchester Grand Hyatt, there's a gorgeous view of the entire bay at the top of the Hyatt there. uh, I think that I like everything from the gritty single-story labs that are in uh, East Village to some of the soaring, beautiful life sciences buildings that we have up in Torrey Pines Mesa. It's a fabulous skyline, and now we're transforming what it looks like at the neighborhood scale, too, with our streetlight program. And I'm so we'll talk about that in a few minutes, and I'm seeing here a, a San Diego magazine Dot com And it says, Why We Will Love Our Skyline. Local architect Joseph Martinez has helped define the San Diego skyline, but we have a long way to go. Is it under reconstruction right now, or is this a, something that's just a little tweaking? Uh, well, we actually have had a really big focus on design, and with um, a number of our design professionals have design review that is for downtown specifically. It was a big success story for redevelopment, um, bringing in uh, a ballpark with a public park built in with it there at Petco Park. So each of these things we continue to iterate and refine, but um, when you're out on the bay and looking back up at the skyline, all you can think of is, wow. 
What a beautiful city. Ah, isn't that nice? Isn't that lovely? Thank you very much. I wanted to honor you with that, telling you I was looking at your, at the skyline. Just beautiful. Thank you, David. I'm glad you got some rest last night. I think you did. You sound, you sound good. And now let's bring on our sponsor of the series, Marlon Zelkowitz, Director of Future Cities and IoT at SAP Public Sector Industry. And Marlon has sent us some lyrics from a very famous Elton John song from a different city. I'm not going to sing it. Marlon, do you want to sing this or shall I just read it? What do you think? I think just read it. (laughs) She's heard me sing on the radio before. We don't want to shock anybody. So the line is, oh, Philadelphia freedom, shine on me. I love you. Shine the light through the eyes of the ones left behind. Shine the light, shine the light, shine the light. Won't you shine the light? And of course, Elton John, Sir Elton Hercules John, CBE, his original name, original name, he was born Reginald Kenneth Dwight in 1947, English pianist, singer, composer, and just top of the charts all over throughout many, many decades. So Marlon, welcome back on your own series and talk to me. Why are we talking about Philadelphia now? A couple of reasons. First of all, I'm sure it's lost on no one who's living in the United States that after a many, many years drought, Philadelphia finally won the Super Bowl this year. And when I was preparing for this show, they -hmm. had just won the Super Bowl. And, and I'm kind of a fan of the underdog. So I was, you know, I was pleased to see that even though Philadelphia is not my favorite team. I was happy to see that they were winning. And then I started thinking about how does this, what does this mean in this city and the city skyline? And, and I was looking at all the people gathered, partying at night, celebrating this victory outside. And they could do this fairly safely because you have all these wonderful streetlights outside that make it safer to be outside in the darkness, celebrating in the middle of the night the victory of your team. And, and they partied well into the morning hours, I, I gather, from my friends uh, who work in the Philadelphia area and who work for SAP and are based in Newtown Square. So that was kind of my, my thought around this. And I was thinking also, when you actually have so many people going to a celebration later, the streetlights can be part of that solution. How do we better manage the traffic and the people going through the city? Can we change the, the routing of the people or change some of the, the lights, the streetlights, so that we're making sure that we have the best timing for people and most safe timing to, to get in and out of the city? Can we also perhaps encourage people, use the, the, the lights or the or even applications and send messages on mobile devices to encourage people to take public transportation or to, de- to defer travel if it's their normal travel time because we know so many people are coming to a celebration event. So I was thinking about how, how we, can, you know, we can really manage things so much better and, and also thinking back to a story where I heard Bob Bennett from Kansas City, Missouri talk about a celebration when his home team won the World Series and they had more people come to that city to celebrate the victory than they actually have citizens in the city. And wow. so I was thinking, wow, exactly. So <laughs> it was just, it, all of these thoughts came to mind as I prepared for the show and I thought, let's talk about Philadelphia and uh, the emotional connection of those lights outdoors. So, and I, I think also to, to bring up David's point yep. and, and your points earlier, Many cities in the United States were really suffering from problems back uh, 20, 30 years ago. They were, whether it was financial difficulties or um, problems with so many people having left the inner city and moved to the suburbs, and they were really in decline. And I think we've seen a tremendous renaissance in these past years, and, and San Diego is a great example of that. 
Um, and mm-hmm. so too is uh, New York City and Philadelphia and, and Boston and, and even my own Washington, D.C., where I live. Thank you, Marlon. Very interesting. I'm going to circle around back to Suzanne Seitinger. And Suzanne, we've had a call out for Philadelphia from Marlon. We've had one for San Diego from David. And so I want to ask you, Suzanne Seitinger, do you have a favorite city you want to do a shout out to right now for their skyline or anything else? Uh, well, I mean, in the spirit of, of competition, I guess, or um, <laughs> since I, my hometown is is Boston, which I don't even know if I should say that out loud, but, um, but, um, <laughs> we, um, you know, the, there's been such a, a, a transformation here, um, in the seaport district, which has really transformed the way the, mm-hmm. the skyline, the skyline looks and, and in the lead up to the, to the big events, there was just an amazing, um, way that all the buildings in the seaport district, uh, were coordinated with different colors that were in, you know, in honor of the, of the city and of their team. And it was such a sense of, of, um, rejuvenation and revitalization that's just been, been amazing to see. We, you know, we've also collaborated with, um, in that district, uh, a place called District Hall, which is the Boston Innovation Center. And they've done a lot of work with, with lighting in their interior space where people are, are basically allowed to come in and work at any given moment. And, you know, um, we were talking about the neighborhood scale before. What I really love about that is that it's sort of the skyline talking with um, this district hall, sort of almost like a town hall, like an innovation town hall kind of building. And the lighting really sets the scene. It's like the... It's like the modern day campfire that's bringing people together um, to kind of uh, spend time face to face, right? Which is a lot of what we've been hearing about in the news. We need to create events and occasions where people come together face to face, not uh, simply talking to each other via via screens. And so, um, I like this idea of the skyline connecting down with the neighborhood scale and with the kinds of environments that really set the tone for, for innovation to happen because it brings people together. Thank you, Suzanne. You don't, you don't need to be ashamed to say Boston. As a matter of fact, I lived in Cambridge many years ago, but I looked up Boston Skyline, and I just learned that the Four Seasons Hotel and private residences, 1 Dalton Street, a.k.a. 1 Dalton, will become Boston's third tallest building once it's finished toward the end of this year, 2018. It will be behind trailing and height 200 Clarendon and the Prue. And along with Millennium Tower, it will be the only building completed in the last 17 years to rank among Boston's 10 tallest, but that will be outdone by 2020. Very interesting. Marlon, we need to do a show just on skylines. This is a fascinating topic. Yeah, woohoo. So Suzanne, where are you calling from today? And you know what I'm going to ask you. What's in your cup? What are you drinking right now that you love? Or what do you plan to drink later that really powers Suzanne Seitinger? So I am in Boston today. So I'm, I'm in, in base and at home base. Um, and hoping that the spring-like temperatures are here to stay. Although I know that's wishful thinking. Um, so that's where I am today. I am having uh, and enjoying good, strong um, Italian coffee um, because I'm really enjoying that I'm able to drink lots of coffee again now that I am no longer <laughs> pregnant. So that's been it's been great. Um, so that's been my my main uh, new addition to the to the repertoire these days. Good. Do you have a favorite brand of good, strong Italian coffee? I'm always looking for a good recommendation. 
Well, I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, there's, well, so my husband's into, well, not Italian coffee, but into uh, intelligentsia. But I like um, making it on the stove with those Italian um, pots. And they're just, you know, I don't know, you know what I mean, those those Italian kind of stovetop um, coffee makers. They're just really, they're, I don't know, I love the way the percolating sound uh, <laughs> uh, happens at the end of, of a run being almost done. It's a very satisfying sound. So it's a mix of, of sound and taste and obviously then the caffeine at the end. So it's an all-round um, good experience. <laughs> I'm looking at pictures. I'm seeing a Bialetti six-cup stovetop espresso maker. Exactly Did I find it? it? That's, That's it. exactly it. That's yep. the, am I am I good or what? Thank you very much, David. I'm just a psychic today, David Graham. I'm wondering how much caffeine you need these days to stay awake with your two youngins at home. Uh, first of all, where are you calling from? I'm assuming San Diego, but tell me and tell me what do you love to drink that really powers your wonderful radio voice and everything else you do, David? Well, I'm sitting in my office overlooking the beautiful San Diego skyline, the Coronado Bridge, and the bay. And just for this, I did brew uh, a special yerba mate, which I enjoy as opposed to coffee. I think uh, people may know it's a traditional South American tea, and I do actually drink it out of the hollowed calabash gourd that you're supposed to. So just for you, Bonnie, I wanted something special, not just in the cup, but the cup itself. And I'm drinking it because um, it's light. It's different, has that pack of caffeine if you're not a, a coffee drinker, and I definitely need that with the sleepless nights right now. Uh, but mate's also become a little trendy, uh, but it's been around forever. Uh, I think the Spaniards found out in the 16th century that it had been drank in South America for who knows how long. Um, and I love it for this particular topic because, you know, when we think about uh, old and ancient drinks and practices and cultures. Uh, think about how long the light bulb has been around and how mm-hmm. now we're actually talking about it like it's something cool and trendy. So I uh, thought it'd be perfect <laughs> for today. Plus, I change, plus, I la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yerba Mate, anybody wants to look it up, Y-E-R-B-A-M-A-T-E, like mate. And it has, quote, unquote, listen to this, David, the strength of coffee, the health benefits of tea, and the euphoria of chocolate all in one beverage. It's naturally caffeinated. Do you know what plant it comes from, David? Little quiz here. Well, it is the so the, the yerba is the is the plant. There's a Latin name for it that I'm I'm forgetting right I have now. It. I, um, I didn't expect you to know that. It's Ilex paraguarinesis. There you How about go. That? And it's from the holly plant. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Well, you certainly passed that part of the quiz. Delighted to have you on. I'm glad you're naturally caffeinated today. And Marlon Zelkowitz, where are you? And what are you drinking today? Or what are you dreaming about drinking? Um, I'm in Washington, D.C. today, and it's cold and gray. kind of looks like Northern Europe. Um, damp. It's been <laughs> drizzling and damp for the last three days, which is uh, not fun. So I'm having a cup of hot cinnamon spice tea from Harney and Sons. I really enjoy that it kind of warms you up from the inside out. Yes, I think so. And as a matter of fact, my weather here in Durham, North Carolina, seems to mimic my friends telling me what the weather is in New York, on Long Island at least. And I'm wondering if it's very similar to your D.C. weather. We've had drizzly rain, woke up to rain this morning, but drizzly and kind of gray for the past two days. But Marlon, we bounced back and forth from snow three weeks ago where I actually shoveled. I borrowed a shovel and being a good New Yorker, I shoveled 
all the walks, the driveway, the sidewalk, the front walk. And then 48 hours later, it was warm enough and all the damp snow melted. I've been telling that story for weeks, but I'm still in shock. Great exercise, but why did I bother? But we bounce between temperatures here in the 40s and 50s, and it could be up to 76 the next day. And I'm still not used to it, but it is kind of gray and drizzly today. So I'm hoping we get some sunshine. Suzanne knows this. Marlon knows this. David, I've guessed it. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine, natural or otherwise, David, on radio show days. So all I'm allowed to have is water. So I have my cool, clear mug that I had in New York with cool, clear glass of water. And I've got a pink straw because I'm hoping the sun will come out tomorrow and I'm not going to burst into the song from Annie. So there. We have a very interesting panel today. In case you haven't guessed, the topic is You Light Up My Life. I did mention it before. Smart City, Smart Lighting. And I will say without hesitation, smart people on our panel. This is part three of a topic that Marlon started on her series, Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future. We did part one on April 4th last year, 2017. We did part two on May 23rd, very close together. And now here we are in February 2018 doing part three because there's just so much to talk about. So we're talking with Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting, David Graham at the City of San Diego, and Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly city and local government leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as increased citizen and business demands for digital services, a growing variety of digital devices and sensors causing a data deluge, and increased volatility in politics and environment, coupled with constrained resources. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-changing smart cities of the future is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. 
And we're back. You're listening to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. And our topic today is you light up my life. Smart cities, smart lighting, such a big topic. We're doing part three. I'm here today with Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting, David Graham, City of San Diego, California, and Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP. And it's time for our Real Roundtable segment now. I'm going to look at some notes from Suzanne. And let's start here, Suzanne. You told me before the show, quote, smart citizens, not smart cities. And let me just add, you say, one of the most important insights from a study that Phillips did with the Economist Intelligence Unit, that's EIU, relates to the role residents and businesses want to play in shaping their cities. Smart cities is about providing more ways for citizens to interact with their cities. Suzanne, please expand this and tell us more. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, I really, I've been thinking about this a great deal, and it relates back to the culture discussion we started out with. Uh, it really is about linking the outcomes of technology with what people care about uh, the most. And we have a great example from a couple of weeks ago. There was a big game, I heard, um, that we mentioned earlier, um, where a couple of football teams got, got very engaged and where the Minnesota Department of Transportation actually took a very interesting um, project where they relit that uh, really well-known I-35 bridge that collapsed many years ago in, in, um, in Minneapolis, and they relit it in a completely, um, you know, in a, in a sort of extraordinary way. And during the big game, they linked the bridge lighting with the happenings in the stadium. So what it did is it really took all of the activity inside the stadium that, you know, a great deal of people were able to witness in person but it also brought it out into the city, onto the skyline, into the public realm, and let people kind of enjoy at a glance what was going on in the stadium. You know, you could just tell from the sort of dynamism on the bridge, oh, my God, there was a point or there was something that happened. And so they would be able to really glean at a from this ambient um, transformative lighting installation that something was going on in their city. And what I like about this um, project is that it links the whole uh, value of the infrastructure to something that's more emotional. Uh, one of the coolest things I once heard the uh, late and amazing mayor of San Francisco talk about is how do I make infrastructure investments really uh, touch the residents of my city? How do I make it? How, how do I make them feel like that investment in, uh, in in the you know in bridges and in infrastructure and roadways is really something that serves them in a in a in an emotional way. And this reworking of, of the bridge, um, I think, does that in an extraordinary way. And I think the other interesting piece about it is that these infrastructures then start to generate data in new ways because as people take pictures of that bridge, as they post those pictures on social media, uh, as they share those pictures uh, to highlight how excited they are about a particular place or event, it starts to really create a narrative about, about the city that then has further impacts and further benefits like economic development. Uh, so that you can see, for example, that in a, in a community that has a really um, particularly beautiful public realm, you'll see economic development happen in, in that area. You'll see more restaurants open up there. You'll see more um, artistic venues moving in. And it really has a, has a very beneficial uh, effect. And lighting is the, is the catalyst in many ways that, that helps that happen. And once that lighting is connected, you start to have data 
that really makes it visible. So you can kind of see, you know, the ticker in a way on, on social media, demonstrate how, um, how people are excited about, about their, their community and, and their city and their skyline. I, I feel like I was listening to poetry, Suzanne, the way you were talking about that. I'm, I'm not going to challenge our other panelists to do the same, but David Graham, love to hear your thoughts on what Suzanne brought up, the emotional component and, and how uh, sparking new economic development all through lighting, creative lighting. David, your thoughts and love to know, are there any examples from where you are? Well, I didn't expect to have to brush up on my sports for a lighting panel here, so uh, <laughs> let me see what I can do there. Um, actually, I think it's absolutely on point what Suzanne is saying, and, and I'm thinking about um, the All-Star game that was held here in San Diego just a couple of years ago, and one of the things that we were focusing on was how do we, how do we make it smart, um, and we recognize that in and around the ballpark, <clears throat> you have this ubiquitous infrastructure, which is lighting. Now, you think about lights, and they've always had one job, right, to shine. And either they're on or they're off. But the revolution that's happening right now is really about illumination. Those same lights, if they were aware of their surroundings, and if we think about what they can convey, um, in addition to just light, is really the change that we're seeing in, in smart cities. So... This ties into the whole idea of let's take those lights, which are everywhere, right? I mean, unless you're out on the mountaintops um, hiking and staring at the stars, there's, there's not lighting infrastructure there most of the time. But anywhere else you go in an urban or suburban or even rural environment, there's, there's lights. But we're now looking at how using sensors in those lights can help illuminate consumers, uh, I was in Home Depot with my two-year-old, and I saw all of the um, smart lighting solutions and systems that you can turn on and off. You think about lights that are used for um, seasonal affective disorder, which a couple of you are on mm-hmm. the East Coast, so I don't know if you have broad-spectrum lights or not, um, but you may need one. Um, what, what I think is so fascinating here is that the single-purpose um, thing that, that we have in our homes and throughout our cities is now being seen as uh, having a cultural impact, an economic development impact, um, but also uh, an ability to, through sensors, inform um, people and, and providers of what the environment really is and looks like. Eloquent, eloquent, eloquent. Thank you very much. Uh, Marlon, you're up. Add to our conversation, please. Go ahead. Well, I, I wanted to build on things that both David and Suzanne said. So David made a point about how the you can really illuminate what's happening and, and have more information, and that's so true. The data, the sensors in your light, in your lights, show exactly what's happening in a specific community at a certain point in time, and so you can know very clearly. It's much more um, much more verifiable, much more honest and accurate than many other sources of information. And this provides great insight for neighborhood planning, for neighborhood development, and, you know, for economic planners, for people who are thinking of opening up restaurants. So it's really, um, really useful information that can be relevant. Also, something David said was about how lights can be adapted or controlled. And I think you can think about an area that may be very busy in certain times of day and other times in the evening, not as busy. And if we can dim those lights, think about the energy savings for the city or for the community, which can then be put into other higher value-added activities or, or priorities that the citizens have. And this kind of brings back to, to what, what Suzanne was talking about, this question of how do I make citizens feel like infrastructure investments are relevant. 
And that highlights the importance of also involving citizens in this process of making a city smarter, whether it's with lighting or with um, sensors and trash cans um, so we can collect the trash on a timely basis. We know when the trash bins are full or overflowing mm-hmm. or what have you. So I really, really think there's, a, there's so much that we can get from just being smarter, engaging our citizens, and putting in place the infrastructure. Thank you. I have a question for all three panelists. I, I was listening very intrigued by what Suzanne started out with and what David and Marlon added, and it dawns to me that somebody has to have that big idea. Somebody has to say, hey, let's take the lighting on the bridge and co- co- sync it up or coordinate it with what's happening in the stadium, but who's going to do it and how much time does it take and what will the engineering cost and will people think it's corny? But if they love it, how do we get the word out and how do we advertise or promote it so people know this is happening? Can we just talk for a minute about this this genesis of the idea, Suzanne, playing off on your topic of smart citizens, not smart cities? Suzanne, why don't you give us a, a minute or so of this and then we'll see what David says and what Marlon says. I'm very intrigued. Go ahead. Um, I, li- I like that question. I think it's, it's an interesting question and, and relevant for your show around where innovation comes from, right? I mean, in mm-hmm. some cases, these, these ideas are, are, are in the air in a way, and then they sort of land, at least how in my mind I visualize it, there are ideas, they're sort of in the air, and then they land in certain locations, like on, you know, in Minneapolis on the I-35 bridge. And it, it, I think it's a way that, um, you know, there's, there's, ideas floating around, but then certain moments, and, and really they, they have to do with timing, uh, allow people to really implement things. And so in this case, it was really the Minnesota Department of Transportation that wanted to do something meaningful um, for the community and meaningful as, as part of this very timely event, uh, in addition to a lot of work around how um, the branding around, for example, uh, the ability to see the aurora borealis in in that region of the country, how that's a really important theme for the for that whole district, and how they want to use this idea of, they call it the bold north uh, as something that that matters to them, which is intrinsically linked with lighting, right? So their whole their whole image of their of their city and of their of their region. Uh, from a tourism perspective, is kind of built up around lighting. So there was just a, a great uh, timing around, you know, a, a revitalization through through the infrastructure, uh, a lot of uh, thoughts on how to present oneself in the public, and then the ability, you know, of, a, of an agency to take a leadership role together with, with other stakeholders to, to implement the project. And I think the part that made it possible, to your point about is this really mm-hmm. feasible, comes back to what... Um, we were talking about before, where, where David was saying how, <clears throat> you know, LEDs are not the same, lights are not the same as they used to be. We're no longer talking about a traditional medium. We're talking about a medium that bridges between uh, different uh, capabilities. It's a digital technology. You can turn them on and off whenever you like. You can talk to them remotely. You can link them with the cloud. It's a very different situation. So the kind of cost and complexity that, you know, you would have required in the past to do those kinds of projects has really shifted. So you have a whole new um, uh, palette, I guess, of, of capabilities, and they have to do with the fact that these lighting technologies are cloud-connected, they're remotely accessible, and they're linked with software that different people can have access to based on, you know, what their appropriate levels of access are. So you really have a whole new set of capabilities that just were not available uh, with traditional lighting systems. 
Thank you very much. Good good overview on that, Suzanne. And, and David, I want you to answer the same question, but I'm going to bring in one of your discussion statements here you sent me the other day for your notes because I think this is a, a perfect segue to what we're talking about. David, you said silos exist for a reason, but I don't believe in – so I don't believe in silo busting, but we need doors, windows, and doormats to understand and collaborate. So can you bring in the topic or the concept, David, of, of city, smart city silo busting? or whatever you want to call it, to get this job done. Who gets to put the fancy lighting in? Talk to me. Well, absolutely. And I think Suzanne talked a lot about the possibility and um, innovation and the excitement that is out there. At the same time, you know, I'm sitting here at City Hall in a building that was built in the 60s, and it mm-hmm. doesn't look like it's gotten much of a fa- facelift since then. <clears throat> and that's what cities are dealing with. Um, and I think what is so interesting about what we can do in thinking about lighting and connectivity and cloud-based um, controls is this this concept of we're going to be investing a lot of money in infrastructure. Take a great example recently. The convention center here in San Diego has these beautiful, big, white-peaked sails that are almost like um, mountains. If you've ever been to Denver International Airport, they have these huge, white you know sails that kind of cover the top part of it and create this additional space. They were doing a eleven or twelve million dollar project, and what did they do to really kind of put the flash and panache on that and make it something that was could celebrate San Diego and be a part of our skyline? Going back to your skyline discussions, mm-hmm. they put lighting in it that could shine exteriorly a whole rainbow of colors so that in the night sky now these great beautiful white sails now can be a a cultural and a skyline icon and uh, dancing lights as a part of the, the light show. Now that was a very inexpensive part of the big project. Mm-hmm. That's the exact same thing when we look at all of these projects. We're going to be investing a lot in infrastructure so when we do that How can we make it more connected? How can we make it more impactful? How can we make it fun? So to the point about silos and silo busting, um, the the idea that your investment in infrastructure has to be multi-use, multi-purpose, multi-tasked, and also be generating data that you can share with many other people. Through our open data platform, we're sharing all sorts of data um, coming off of our streetlights for you know, development of apps and software, parking finding. We have a great one called the Digital Cane that's being developed where people who are sight impaired will know when it's safe to cross the street because of data coming off of the streetlights. Um, those silos, the windows, doors, and doormats are about how we say, how can we take this investment, utilize it for uh, changing and improving our communities? And who else really needs this? Um, And I think that's been a San Diego story of collaboration between multiple agencies, multiple community organizations, and building that smart, adaptive platform. And for us, Streetlights is the perfect tool. Thank you very much. I'm just reading here, San Diego. I found it. January 1st, 2018, San Diego installs smart streetlights to monitor the metropolis. This is spectrum.ieee.org. Uh, a digital cane app designed to use traffic and location data to help visually impaired people cross the street. There's another one, an app that allows food truck drivers to find locations with available parking spaces and a history of high pedestrian traffic and so on and so forth. Very interesting. Good article. Um, I don't know. Were you aware of this one, David? 
Yeah, I was I was interviewed for that one. I had a feeling uh, I should have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a great one, you know, it, and and people get excited about it. I mean, I never thought when I entered into this career that the most exciting thing I'd be involved with is a lighting project. But here it is. Here you are. For starters, the city, quote, expects to learn what intersections are the most dangerous and need to be redesigned based on information on near misses, not just the accident data. It's a whole new way to improve pedestrian safety, unquote, said David Graham, San Diego's deputy chief operating. Listen, I found it and I found your quote. How's that for instantaneous? What can I tell you, David? Very, very interesting. You demand. Now, Marlon, we'd love to get your thoughts on the creative side of bringing in all of this interest lighting to give an emotional impact uh, at, as far as linking uh, events and making people proud of their city, promoting the city, but also thoughts on the silo. Any or all of the above? Marlon, go ahead. Well, speaking to, you know, to David, I think he's understating his role and, and not giving himself enough credit. Really, the leadership within a city plays a very important role in engaging the citizens in the community and reaching across the various parts of the city to bring about such a wonderful transformative project. So being able to think about what else can we do with these lights, how else can we share the information, make it available to, to the ecosystem of the city, to the citizens, the citizen developers, the university students, the startups in the community, the other, um, the other businesses that are present in the community, the nonprofits, and how can we show them that they're, make sure that they're aware that there's information they could use to have an impact and drive better outcomes for the people in the city. And leadership's super important, and it gets back to the comment that Suzanne made at the beginning about, about culture-eating strategy. If you don't feel like you have a stake in it, if you can't make it real for the people in the city, then it, 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 you encounter obstacles, and you find that the change doesn't get embraced, and, and you don't see that kind of mm-hmm. transformation, or it's much harder to achieve. So that's super important. And as far as the emotional connection, people, when their city is making all these changes and they feel that it's a, it's a better city because of that, it's a better place to live and they're happier for it, we can also assess that. We can monitor that via social media and we can see what's happening and that we can take the pulse real time. And I know Suzanne was going to talk about this. Um, I know they've been, Phillips has actually been doing this. So I, I might leave that to Suzanne to talk about it at a later stage on the show. Well, you know what? We're almost done. We're almost out of time. So I'm just going to go around the table to Suzanne. And you want to just give us a little bit about that initiative, Suzanne? Perfect timing. Thank you, Marlon. Yeah, thanks, Marlon. Yeah, no, I mean, it really is about this idea of using social media to get uh, a sense of the pulse of the city. And, you know, we were talking about getting data both from the field um, by connecting sensors to streetlights, but also there's a lot of data already floating around out there in a way. And so looking on social media, for example, on Instagram, what are people posting? You know, which, uh, which photos of which buildings from the skyline are they actually posting, you know, with their smiling faces in front? Um, that's, you know, they're selecting those strategic locations to, to post and to take pictures from. And so what we're doing in collaboration uh, with SAP is looking at different um, ways to actually, uh, you know, take stock of how many and how excited are they uh, about those about those locations, and then that gives you kind of a, a pulse of the place. 
in a way, a sense of, of, of the pulse of the place. And uh, sometimes I think of it as like a metabolism, like where is the action happening in a way? And you can see from where people are kind of posting and, and how they're um, kind of taking a, a running um, toll of how excited they are about, about the city. And so that's something we're doing around social media. And it's an important source of insight to city um city officials because one of the things that all of this work enables is a more continuous stream of data. So rather than just being able to check in at uh, longer intervals, like, you know, maybe six months or a year to see how successful an investment has been, you really get a continuous sense of how well something is, is doing in order to, you know, support, um, support different folks, whether that's with air quality sensing or with traffic data or with other kinds of information, you, you don't just get a, a spot check every six months. You get continuous stream of, of data coming in mm-hmm. that you can use to feed your own policy decisions. And connected street lighting is really at the core of, of making that happen. So we're really excited to bring in all this broader sense of public lighting and social media together to add to that mix of, of insight. Very interesting, and, and I'm we're almost up to our predictions round, but Marlon, I'm looking at something in your notes here. Why don't we make this international, talking about Sweden, and this, I think, is a, a nice little looped segue from what David was talking about, the digital cane. You put in your notes here about Vision Zero, originated in Sweden, associated with Smart Lighting. You want to tell us, just briefly, I can give you two minutes for this, Marlon, what is this all about? Well, the, the program, which has been embraced by cities and communities all over the world, aimed at reducing traffic-related deaths, um, whether in on a vehicle, uh, whether it's a motorized vehicle or a pedestrian on a street or someone on a bicycle, trying to say, hey, how can we make our streets safer? We would like our citizens to have longer, healthier lives. And street lighting is an important part of that because one of the things that, that we found out was in early times, some poorly lit intersections were a place where many accidents happened. Um, even if you think about being in a rural area and a dark street or dark road uh, in Sweden, you might have a, a moose or, <laughs> or a deer that you can't see. That you, and if you have better lighting, you could see it. You can take a reaction and you could you could slow down your vehicle so that the that the um, animal is able to cross the road and. I understand from my friends who live in the great white north that if you have an accident with a moose, you don't come out ahead. The moose comes out ahead. The moose walks away. You don't. So mm-hmm. the whole idea here is to save lives and to improve the quality of life. And then, you know, as part of that overall initiative to, to be able to have zero accidents on the streets, um, rural and urban, as a result of partly better street lights, partly changing behaviors, increasing traffic ticketing, um, speeding. Um, and, and in fact, in many cities, if you, you see the increased use of automated, um, automated ticketing. So you're capturing the person who's speeding and giving them a ticket immediately. And in Sweden, it's incredibly digitized and very, um, very efficient. We'll say that. Even rental car drivers will be caught by those um, so oh something important. It's a really important, and it's a really important initiative, and it's made a tremendous difference in the city. The question that we next come to is, as we move to autonomous vehicles, what's going to be the replacement source of revenue? Because autonomous vehicles will be always driving and the speed limit and will not be making those violations. So maybe ah. we need to think about a different <laughs> metric for which to gain revenue. Negative revenue know, source. Yeah, Marla, that's, we, that's we've just, got a... 
We've got to move to our predictions round just now, but I just wanted to say a very interesting, just a quick sidebar for the three of you. I moved to a a very beautiful community here in Durham, and I I bought a a, call a premium property facing a pond. My backyard is not somebody else's backyard. There's a, a retention pond that has a gorgeous fountain with multiple tiers of water that spray out. And when I moved in last summer, it had a, a ring of lights around the base of the fountain. And starting at dusk, the lights would rotate different colors. So you could drive down the street, see the fountain, see the colors and know where you were. Well, the lighting, apparently the light ring broke. And I contacted the uh, HMO. Or the HOA, rather. H- sorry, it's a, a bad as bad as H- HOA, HMO. And they said it will take over a month to repair the light. There was no light in the backyard. The pond is pitch dark. There is no safety for the walk around the pond. And I simply said, we are in pitch dark in our backyards and it's not safe. And the answer was, the lighting was only intended for aesthetics, not for safety. Sorry for the inconvenience. I'm just going to stop right there. You don't want to know my answer. So <laughs> let's go around the circle now. We have have about 60 seconds for each of you. Seriously, time for predictions. Crystal Ball, Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting. You know how this works. I'll give you 60 seconds. What will change about the topic, smart city, smart lighting? Let's look at 2020. It's coming up soon. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Suzanne, go. I, I think we're going to see a rapid acceleration of deployments at scale of smart lighting systems, you know, where we've been seeing a lot of pilots and tests and different trial runs, I think we're on the cusp of a real transformation. I I think connected street lighting is the killer app for IoT. I think it's what's going to drive the real uh, transformation towards um, IoT in our cities. And I think when we talk this time next year, Bonnie, we'll already start to see how we've gone from maybe about 2% of, of, of lights out there connected to, you know, an order of magnitude greater. So I can't wait to see what that makes possible and what creativity all of that data flowing unleashes in our communities and within our city government and within our um, private sector. Thank you. That was beautifully done. I have breaking news for you. It's not going to be another year till we speak again. I'm inviting you all <laughs> to come and do part four on my Coffee Break series because there's just too much here. David Graham, you've been pre-invited here. David, get a lot of sleep. David, we'd love to know your predictions. I've got 60 seconds. That's it with your name on them. Go ahead. Well, building on Suzanne's, that, that deployment that we will see rapidly accelerating is going to lead to more convenient cities. I think, though, the big thing will be when that begins to integrate with your upgraded smart lighting in your home, in your shops, in your businesses. So breaking the walls between what is inside and outside and how that revolutionizes your experience in a city is what's on its way. Thank you. Brief and to the point. Very appreciated. Marlon Zelkowitz, I have exactly 60 seconds. Go ahead. You're going to see smart lighting, not just in cities, but also university campuses and um, military installations and office parks and elsewhere, and it's going to be ubiquitous. And the reason why, if you think about campuses or or military facilities, they they have reasons for wanting to have that connectivity to be able to, in the case of universities, to provide the duty of care to keep their students safe and to know that, that they are. And the case of, uh, in the case of the military, it's just better, more efficient use of their facilities and also monitoring, again, the security, securing the perimeter, securing the interior. So I think they'll be ubiquitous, and it won't just be smart cities. It'll be many different kinds of uh, campus or space areas. 
Love it. Thank you very much. Thank you to the three of you, Suzanne Seitinger. Always a pleasure at Phillips Lighting. David Graham, our new best friend on the lighting topic. David, get some rest. Thank you so much. You're going to come back soon. That's my prediction, Marlon Zelkowitz. Always wonderful to have you on the series. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. It's just about time for us to close out this show. We have certainly had a very interesting conversation on connectivity, smart lighting, savvy lighting, creative lighting, fun lighting, emotional lighting in the city. And according to Marlon, it's going to go way outside the city to all other environments soon. And we're going to look forward to that. So I just want to do my shout out and thank you to Aaron and Matt. Matt is taking over now for our engineers at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Hope you're driving on a place with good lighting. What can I say? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Suzanne Seitinger at Phillips Lighting, just like David Graham at the City of San Diego, and just like Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.